Hey, it's Ronnie Gibson again. This is Short Life Advice. This is uh, episode number 24, and today I have with me... Michael Oakleaf, Senior Manager, IBM Interactive Experience. Oh, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Crazy times, but, but fun. I wanted to start out and just let the guests know in the audience that this is the this will be part three we had a couple technical difficulties with this whole work from home and uh so hopefully third time's a charm we got us a, a new recording device here so i think uh i think we'll we'll be good here and hopefully have another great conversation like the other two technology is hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, Oak, I wanted to start off first by, you know, just explaining your background to some of the folks because you are the first person that's not a Schneider associate and not my twin brother. So, congrats, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, no pressure to be relevant. So, yeah, no, Mike Oakleaf again. I'm with IBM. I work in our interactive experience practice, which is all around digital uh, so web, mobile, data analytics, large back-end complex systems, implementing those in a great user experience fashion, or what we call the human experience, transforming the way people work. So I've been with IBM for 10 years. Uh, I started off as an entry level working on actually in our communications practice, which is energy and utilities and telco, and I was doing advanced meter implementations uh, as an analyst. So that was really cool. Um, then I moved into our digital practice and for the last seven years have been solely focused on helping clients modernize their digital experience, both from a customer's perspective as well as an enterprise perspective. So the, the internal employee experience. And so I'm in our services practice. And what that really means is you know, an organization like Schneider might have a project that they need to redo um, or a mission that they're taking on. Hey, we want to become a mobile organization. We want to modernize our tool set and they'll come to us uh, if it's something they can't handle internally to help them, you know, shape a project, deliver it. And I'm, I'm one of the lead engagement uh, people that, you know, would work with the client to understand their needs, their pain points, and then scope out a solution to, you know, hopefully meet their problems. Okay. So yeah, so you're uh, so you come in a company hires a consultant. You're like one of the head consultants now. So you are you like a project manager of like you come in and consult as a project manager. You have a team or no? So I've moved into an engagement. Yeah, so I was at one point a PM. Uh, I've moved into more of a leadership role where now I'm working with executives, senior leaders to you know understand as a whole the organizational vision and mm. you know is there any gaps to achieve that so i'll i'll be one of the first people in to understand those pain points and uh and then work with the power of ibm all the different people so pms you know technology people experience designers strategists to solution um a project that could you know fulfill the the client's needs mm. you uh i know as a consultant I know, especially early on, talking to you early on, starting your career, I know you've been at IBM how many years now? Ten. Ten years. I know early on, you have to, well, I mean, you still do. Well, I guess with the whole COVID, I, you're not doing it too much anymore, but you had to do a lot of travel, uh, like five, four, five, six days a week, and uh, was away from home a lot on, you know, on projects. You know, if you can... Just explain like your whole transgression of where you got to this leadership role and, and what are some things that you implemented in, in your personal life and your, you know, in your career to get you to that point. Sure. Yeah. Early on, it was absolutely a grind. Um, not that it still isn't, but it was just different when you're on the road four or five, like you said, six days a week, sometimes not coming home if you're working, you know, on a proposal. So being on the road was just you know, it was a mental drain, but, you know, I love, I loved it at the moment. And, you know, looking back, I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad I made that commitment early on in my career. Um, 
you know, because one of the things I often talk to with, you know, younger resources is if you if, if you're someone that prioritizes work, you know, especially early on, like I did, right, your first three, five years, you have an incredible opportunity to compress your time frame to get promoted. Uh, mm -hmm. The cycles between promotions it can be really rapidly accelerated. And so from when I was an entry level to my first promotion, to becoming a team lead, to becoming a project manager, you know, you're talking about three, four promotions and I did it in a time of five years. Right. And so <laughs> I really was able to compress that time frame because, and as you get to the levels I'm at now, um, you look to the senior manager level, leadership level, executive level. Um, the, the time frames are just much longer. There's less roles. You know, it's not something you just, do every two years. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I saw early on, you know, I love the work I still do. And it was, it was a priority for me. Um, you know, I was single, uh, you know, you don't, when you don't have a family or kids, it's really easy to prioritize certain things and go all in. And so that's what I did. Right. I just had a relentless commitment to, you know, IBM success, our client success, and it just really stood out. Um, and I I'm glad I did it because now I'm in a role that I really, really enjoy and to take on complex, you know, problems and not just be, you know, an analyst and you only see maybe 20 yards of the field. It's really fun to see 80 yards of the field and how organizations work uh, both internally and externally. So, you know, my, that, that again, that was my prioritization. Everyone's going to have a different priority when you're young. You know, sometimes you want to enjoy, you know, being out in the real world for the first time. For me, again, I loved work, wanted wanted to be successful, and I got into consulting because it just gives you such a depth and breadth of exposure. So in those first five years, you know, maybe I worked with 10 different clients on eight different projects, doing a range of things, not including all the proposals I was working on. So you just see so much, right? And, in, and mm. not having just a typical, this is what I do every day, I have my little pocket that I'm, you know, I could be really good at, you know, when you, you do that five, six times over in a year, you learn a certain skill set that I'm, that's transferable. Right. And so mm -hmm. the ability to start a job over essentially every six, you know, weeks to, you know, four months, it's nerve wracking at first, but then you start to learn, you know, the questions to ask, um, you know, how to stay, had had a perspective right and understand the, the problems as a whole uh it, it's really something that's carried with me throughout and i knew that getting into consulting at first i knew i was gonna have to pay my dues i knew it was kind of dog years but I, I i had the hope that i would get out of it again that compressed time frame of experience and i got it so i'm super happy about that mm. um look you know my advice to younger resources if they're listening is if you really do prioritize right now the ability to advance you know again you have an opportunity right now to compress that time frame in terms of promotions and i, I call it making yourself a first round draft pick mm. um if you go above and beyond you it's much much easier to stand out as a younger resource as you advance it's just expected right and so table stakes is just doing a good job with what you're asked to do you know being a first rounder is exceeding that right taking on the level carrying yourself like the next level right and mm -hmm. and it's just you do that through asking questions right seeking out others to get involved understand how they got to where they are you know identifying other people in the organization that you consider a rising star and attaching yourself to them mm -hmm. the easiest way to advance is attach to someone else who's advancing quickly make them successful and they'll just pull you right along with them you can tailwind them and I, I was really, really blessed up front to have a handful of mentors that were successful in their own right. I looked up to try to mold myself after and, you know, they carried me right through. So, you know, every day it was how can I make their life easier? How can I make them better? And, you know, they, they paid it forward. So it's cool to now be in a position where I'm being looked at by younger resources to do the same thing. And that's just, you know, it's a it's a, that's how I'm learning now, um, which is really cool. Mm. What are, what are some of the things that, you know, cause kind of, 
you know, how IBM is structured with, you know, with the type of leadership roles. It's similar with my company and a lot of other companies out there. And I love attaching yourself to someone you, someone's career that you would like to emulate or someone that's got a, some real great characteristics when it comes to, you know, succeeding anywhere in, in life. What, what are some of the things that you like, say did for one of those mentors mm-hmm. you, one example right i mean as you again as you start to advance in the, the consulting business that i'm in right when you get to that partner role you're expected to be a leader of the business right you're a part owner of the business essentially and you're driving new business it's your job to go work with clients to drive sales and revenue um and get the consultants billable uh so from that, right, as a younger resource, my sole purpose was to support those sellers, right? And you, know, you talk about living on the road. There was a couple times I didn't come home over the weekend, right? And so I had my full time, you know, 50, 60 hours a week during, during the week on the road. And then it's, okay, it's the weekend. You know, do you want to fly home and do this proposal remotely? Or do you want to stay here and knock this thing out? And so there was a couple times I just, you know, we got a hotel room. Um, in the city we were at and I didn't, I didn't go home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just an example of showing that commitment. It gets noticed. Um, looking back again, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. It's crazy as some people to think that you're going to sacrifice a weekend. But for me, you know, the credits I got out of it were invaluable. Um, and you know, you, to circle back to supporting somebody else, if they're, whole measurement is to drive sales and i stuck around showing the commitment that i want to help them get their sales credit right Mm -hmm. they're going to notice that and then again you know kind of drag you along and the great ones uh in terms of leaders they they acknowledge that and understand you need to reward those people who are doing that identify people who are going above and beyond to make you successful, make the company successful. And, you know, like I said, the great ones will, will show that through, you know, whether it be a promotion or a, you know, a one-off bonus, um, that just keeps the motivation going. And other things, you know, I had a mentor tell me, he's like, I want to surround myself with people who take stuff off my plate, not add. Right. Mm. And what that, you know, what that means is if, if they have, as you go up, you're juggling more and more things, right? Yeah. You're no longer again in that silo. And so if I have 10 things that I'm juggling and there's someone I can really trust to take two of those, oh, that's worth its weight in gold, right? Because maybe I just got mm. five hours of my life back or you know, five hours I can spend on those other eight things to make those even better. And it, it, the ability to understand kind of what the ask is, learn over time very quickly and deliver quality product um, is another way that you can, you know, attach yourself to someone and, and I, I'll keep saying it, you know, ride their tailwind, um, up the chain. Mm. Uh, and you know, that, that again, it's, everyone's going to be different. And that's something I've also come to realize is, you know, for me, I thought everyone else was crazy because they weren't going so hard at, you know, their career early on, but everyone has different priorities and I, you got to appreciate that. Just like myself, I have different priorities now in life, mm-hmm. not, I'm not still super committed to work and enjoy it and love it, but there's other things in your life beyond work. And I'm actually better at my job because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not sustainable to go 120 miles an hour at just your career, seven days a week, 24 seven, right? It's just, you can't do it. You'll burn out. And if you have that, you know, work-life balance to some extent, uh, it, it just, it makes you better at your job. I love the, I'm going to go back to your sports analogy, the first round draft pick. I love that. And if you think about it, you know, as a, as an athlete, if if you're trying to get yourself noticed, I mean, you want to be, there's a book I read a a little bit ago called uh, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And that's what it makes me think of. It's like, you got to do whatever it takes even think of those first round draft picks. What what do a lot of them do? They're aligning with other NFL players and learning from them, working out with them in the in the off season, trying to soak in from the greatest receipt. You know, I see a lot of receivers work with Jerry Rice or 
you know, Brett Favre, a lot of good Hall of Famers. And that's really, you're just trying to learn from what they learned from, what what they failed at, and then uh, try to put yourself in a position where no one can ignore you because you are you the first round draft pick status. And it's really important early on in your career to do that. So if you can make some sacrifices, a weekend here, a weekend there, or, you know, some late nights. And it's tough early on. I remember early in my 20s that it, it's just you, you never want to give up weekends. You, you're still on that party type of feel and want to hang out with your friends and do all kinds of fun stuff, at, you know, and, at weeknights and weekends. But sometimes you got to make those sacrifices to put you in a position where you need to be now, you know, totally. your 30s. Yeah, and you know the other thing, you know, is when you're younger, less less is expected of you, right? I mean, we're gonna have 30, 40 year careers. Mm-hmm. The idea that you're amazing one to two years in, you know, you might put the pressure on yourself to be amazing day one, but you know the bar is somewhat low, where mm-hmm. you can exceed it pretty easily, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you know, mistakes are almost expected, right? And so use that to your advantage to take some risks. Um, you know, for me, it's am it's I point. a point of view of an industry, right? Like, I'm. You're not expecting a, a more junior resource to be thinking strategically with how they can help drive the business, right? That's just they don't expect that. But even if you just, even if what you turn in is 10% accurate, just the mere fact that you did it earns you <laughs> big bonus points, right? Yeah. So don't be afraid to take those risks. And it's just another opportunity to put something in front of a leader, someone that you look up to, to give you feedback, right? And so the next time that comes around, hey, you know, they've shown some interest. I'm going to, I'll get them involved with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed, you know, that aspect of it. I took full advantage of it. I never was shy to ask a leader for 30 minutes of their time just to, you know, hear their story and what they think makes a, a great consultant and a great IBMer. Uh, and, you know, that's just another easy way to get in front of senior leadership uh, because they, they want to tell that story, right? And they appreciate someone someone's asking questions like that. And, you know, I, I've been asked recently a couple of times myself, um, and it's, it's an adjustment period, you know, I, I, I was the one asking that question. And then when someone asks you, you're kind of like, whoa, am I... Is that am I getting old? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Spot, right. Um, yeah. It's, it's really it's really cool to kind of now be on you know the other side. Not that I'm, you know, until you're the CEO, and when you're the CEO, you're talking to board members, and when you're a board member, you're talking to the street. Um, so you're you're even though you advance, you're constantly looking, uh, you know, at your mentor who's above you or has you know bet more experience than you to learn from them as well. I mean, you can always get better. That's what I didn't learn until later in my career. It's like it's it's a lifelong or a career long journey when it comes to learning, and and never gonna stop. So you got to continue to make sure you're learning from others and even your your peers and and people. You know, even newer associates. You know, you always got to be. You know looking at other people's way they do things and, and trying to soak up everything possible to learn from and apply it to your career, even when you do get up to that senior level status. And Absolutely. And I'm always yeah. in amazement of, you know, some of the people, you know, uh, that I'll pick on that Bill Gates documentary they did on Netflix, right? Like the dude's reading 10 books a week or something insane, right? You'd think at a guy like at his level, he'd think he knows it all, right? But mm-hmm. he's just continually trying to re- learn more, read different topics, get different perspectives. Mm. Um, so it, it goes back to the point of never settling, never thinking you've reached the top um, and just continually trying to get better. And it's, you would, lo- you would love this book, not to go back to this book again, but that same book, it, it talks about deliberate practice. It seems like a lot of things you did in your career and deliberate practice is just essentially stretching yourself as much as you can, taking on projects and like challenging yourself from that status quo or just being productive, but going above beyond that and challenging yourself, not too much to where you're, you know, you're, you're exhausted and, and you don't have any type of social life or work-life balance, but you need to continue to challenge yourself beyond 
that threshold and then seek feedback. And how you seek feedback is finding mentors, finding others, and, and working along other people, like-minded people who have that same type of drive, especially in your same career. So it's... Uh, yeah, and, and do, it yeah. In a, do it in a fashion early on where there's a safety net, right? Um, that's why, you know, work mm. internally to start and, you know, a trusted mentor, a trusted advisor that you have to bounce ideas off of or, you know, ask them a question. You know, for me, like, I wasn't going to go present my ideas to a client right day one. So what do you, you know, find in a situation where it's a safe environment, you can take risks, and there isn't much of a downside to it um, is, is another, you know, thing I would I would say. Mm. Good stuff, Oak. Is there anything in the last year or two years that you've implemented either at your career or personally to help, you know, push yourself and drive yourself to, you know, keep being the best Mike Oakley if you can be? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been an early riser, so I've, I've been up, you know, 5, 6 a.m. every day. Um, I'm just, I'm way more effective in the morning. My mind's fresher. So I've tried to do you know, get a little bit of a workout in the morning to get the body moving before mm. I start. Um, and, you know, the, honestly, the other thing, it's almost not working more, you know, harder but smarter mm. is I've really tried to shut down at the end of the day, right? So whether the end of the day means five, whether it's seven, whether it's nine, whatever, you know, time it is, given what you're working on, when you're done, you're done. And I think the world we live in, it's so easy to just look at your phone or look at, you know, Slack when you're sitting in bed. Um, you know, I've really tried to put a focus on just stopping, letting your mind reset. You know, that email is going to be there in the morning, right? That presentation is mm. still going to be there. Don't, you know, think that you have to just have it be one continuous loop. And doing that has really, you know, made me fresher, better. Uh, because there is diminishing returns when you just, if you just don't stop, you know, at a certain point, you're just, you're operating, you know, less than if you would have just taken a break. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's been a good practice for me, especially someone who's, you know, driven and, and wants to advance and do a great job. It's really easy in this world to just keep working and think that that just continues to make you, you know, you know, separate from the pack and, you know, learning that maybe sometimes doing a little bit less actually gets you more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, a book called Stillness by Ryan Holiday that talks about that just because we, all we've talked about is just applying yourself, stretching yourself, you know, working hard, putting in the hours, but eventually it can kind of plateau and turn into a negative because you're, if you're so exhausted, you're not getting sleep, you're not exercising, you're not setting time aside to think to yourself and I, that's where you get a lot of your juices flowing and for your type of field and in even in sales like everyone you, you need creativity is very important so you can't be very creative when you have all kinds of stimuli of your phone and and all kind you know you know if someone's calling you from work to, you know, emails, all that stuff coming in, it, it's very hard to think creatively. So setting time aside, like, like you do in the morning, I love that. Uh, and especially during exercise, like a lot of good ideas come up when you're exercising for me at least. And yep. uh, so I, super important. And I bet you, you know, Oakleaf, you just had a you know a child, a, a baby boy, a Lincoln, right? Uh, within the yep. last year, and uh, that's probably changed up a lot of things for you too, hasn't it? Oh, totally. <laughs> um, you want to talk about you know a human being or really anything that just operates at their own schedule, and doesn't care what you got going on. I mean, it's a child, right? And um, if they're crying, they're crying. They don't they don't care that you have a proposal. They don't even know what that means, right? And, <laughs> yeah. So you have to really be efficient with, you know, how you set aside time, how you can be flexible in the way you work. Um, it brings perspective, right? So we'll talk about, you know, priorities. Um, you know, early on, it's easy to go, you know, 100 miles an hour all in at your job. As soon as you get a family, you get a kid, you know, I think a lot of people, they reprioritize, you know, for me, I have not that again, that I don't care a lot about my job and we want to be successful. But, 
it's just different, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, the ability to strike that work-life balance and you be able to put the, we were just talking about putting the phone down to recharge. It's also putting the, the phone down to live in the moment with your family. Right. Don't, mm. don't be there 50%. Right. They, they mm. want, you know, I'd rather be there, you know, for four hours of the day at a hundred percent than, you know, here and there for, you know, 50%. It's it just, the, the moments are invaluable. Right. And, uh, it, it teaches you a lot with how to also, you know, compartmentalize things and, be you know more efficient with your time because you know there's just certain times you're gonna have to put them to bed and they're gonna fight it or you know they're <laughs> hungry or they're crying da 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 right and you've you've got to be able to to maneuver that and I think you know you get perspective through experience and I think later on I'm gonna be just be even better because you know of this learning experience I'm going through you know with with the kid. Mm -hmm. um, you also you keep perspective right like you know sometimes the problems that we think are the end of the world you know they aren't and you realize that there's you know more to life and uh you know you, you have a little little human being that looks up at you and you know eventually sees you as their whole world so you know it's, it's a really cool thing that's awesome man let's uh do you have a you talked a lot about your career you've been with IBM for 10 years do you have a like favorite failure years or a failure that it seemed like to young Oakleaf the worst thing in the world, but looking back on it, it really helped you realize a few things and help push you in your career. Yeah, totally. You know, and it ties in a lot to what we're talking about here. Um, you know, so probably year three, you know, at this point for me, um, you know, I've been really blessed early, you know, early in life to have a great family and support structure to be set up for success um, you know, excelled at sports, certain things just came easy. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, when I got into the workforce, you know, I felt like, you know, I was prepared for it again, early success the first couple of years. But, you know, when I, I had this project year three in and it just, I, I just didn't know what was going on. Right. I mean, I, I was in meetings and people were might as well have been speaking Dutch and I knew Japanese, um, <laughs> You know, no matter how hard I worked to try and understand it, I just couldn't. And it was getting, getting frustrating, which just compounds your stress. And at this point, again, you know, I've been running 100, 100 miles an hour for three years, you know, not caring about the weekends. If I get a day to myself, I'm happy type thing. And it just all came to a crashing end. And I mean, it nearly broke me to the point of, you know, I, you know, you're, you're contemplating you know, are you going to be successful in your career? Mm -hmm. um, is it time to just hang up the skates or you know, the skaters? <laughs> quite big, but and it, it was a reality because I hadn't failed yet. Right. So um, I didn't, we, you know, you get, as I said, you get, you know, you get perspective through experience. And if you haven't had a true failure in life, you know, how are you going to know how to deal with it? Now, again, failing at a project is such a small thing you know, in the grand scheme of things to what a lot of people have to go through. But for me, it was my whole world. Right. Mm. And, you know, looking back, it was great to understand, you know, don't, you don't have to get that low, right? Like, yeah, it was a tough beat. Understand how you failed, try and get better from it. It's tough in the moment to have perspective, but you know, tomorrow's a new day and you're going to have another failure later on and you can't let it nearly break you every single time. Um, so, you know, it goes back to, you know, if I, I think if I would have had more of a work-life balance back then, I think it would have, I would have been better prepared for it because when your whole world is one thing and you mm. fail at that one thing, you know, it can cripple you. And, you know, so now I have a little bit of a work-life balance when the things are tough, you, you go to the other aspects of your life and lean into those and that helps you get through it. Um, but, you know, again, at that time, it was, it, it was a really low point and, you know, thankfully, I had, again, some great mentors around me who were able to, you know, pull me up and, you know, carry me through the tough times and get me through it and handle me with kid gloves, if you will. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm better because of it now. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, you said that was your third year. You, I mean, you're putting yourselves in these positions to learn quickly. So you're going to have those instances where you do fail and just being, you know, learning early on, you know, I think was 
probably really crucial for you just that, you know, it is okay to fail and uh, going into that, knowing that there will be times you're going to fail and it is okay. And you're, you're going to learn a lot from it is, uh, is very important early in your career. Totally. I mean, you know, everyone wants to go undefeated, but it's just, it's just not <laughs> real. Right. I mean, you can maybe for one year, maybe for a couple of years, but you know, eventually you will, you will get beat and you've got to be able to take that on the chin to some extent, learn from it. And, you know, like I said, it is so tough in the moment to have perspective, right? I mean, if you're just mm -hmm. crushed, it's really tough to expect someone to be cool and be like, oh, it's okay, you know, tomorrow's a new day, you know, I'm going to get them then, right? No, I mean, it's it's easy for an outsider to say that to you. It's another for you to actually believe it. Um, so I think that's just something, you know, you have to, going through it early on in an environment where, yeah, it seemed like my whole world was crumbling. It really wasn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things over the course of my career. So it's great to have those um, early on so you can learn from them and be better the next time. When you are stressed out, overwhelmed, like in this instance, is, do you do you have anything in, in your life or, you know, anything that you do to or any certain like act? Yeah, I'm, you know, it's hanging out with, you know, my wife and, you know, my, now my son. Before that, golf was for whatever reason, the one place I could go to and just have no guilt, just putting my phone in my bag and just having a good round and enjoying being outside. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, physical activity, like we talked about earlier, I think is a great way to get stress out and kind of reset mentally and physically. Um, and then, you know, in general, when you have a lot on your plate and you're stressed out and feeling overloaded, you know, take a step back, understand all the things you have on your plate and prioritize those things, right? What are those, mm -hmm. what are those things that you might love to take on, but really aren't that critical? Put those at the bottom of the list and don't worry them for now. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you get out of, you get out of crisis mode one step at a time. And so prioritize, compartmentalize one thing at a time, knock it down, down on the list. And you find when you kind of tunnel vision into one thing and you feel more productive, um, that stress starts to go away because you feel like you're getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy to, sometimes when you get overloaded to be going, you know, 10 different places, your mind's running and you can't seem to focus on one thing. So for me, you know, the way I work, it's, it's easy to just, okay, what's the task at hand? What are the, what's the thing that I have to get done in the next day, two days. And those things that I would love to do right now might be fun, but they can wait, you know, put those to the side for the time being until you can come out of, you know, lack of better terms, crisis mode. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Let's uh, we'll, uh, we'll divert a little bit here. What was your first concert or album that you've ever been to or ever purchased? <laughs> um, so concert was, I think the first three concerts I went to were Dave Matthews Band for one summer when I was in my teens. You know, we did like a Dave Matthews Band, like nice. little tour, which was cool. Uh, in the Midwest kind of followed them. It was really fun. Um, first album I can remember, you know, it was when the CD times it was hip hop hits. Um, and I was just so jacked because it was parental advisory and somehow convinced <laughs> my mom to let me get it. And, um, I remember vividly not putting down my Sony Walkman, you know, that those ones that you couldn't let not be flat because the CD will stop, right? If you move it, <laughs> they're like yeah. a huge lug. You got those headphones that it hurt to put over your ears. Um, but, you know, I loved it at the time. Uh, yeah, so that was my my first album uh, nice. that I got. You remember who was who was on that hip-hop hits originally? Oh, yeah. Wu-Tang Clan, Biggie. <laughs> I think there nice. was Tupac in there. I mean, it was the classics, right? That was, I mean, that would have been mid-90s, right? So that was like the heart of, you know, the prime of some of the, you know, the great rappers. Nice. Dave Matthews and Tupac and Biggie. I like it. <laughs> 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 if you uh if, if you could have a gigantic billboard oak and um uh, you know anywhere and you could put anything on it that reach maybe millions billions of people what would you put on it to uh yeah uh philosophically i it'd be kind of cool just like maybe on the highway if people are driving you know what do you want out of life and it was just like a simple little question like that um I think it's it's always interesting to 
look at other people and what they prioritize in life. And, you know, for, you know, me individually, what I think is crazy, you know, others think I'm crazy. Um, Mm. And I think it's important, you know, just to think about, you know, what do you want out of life? And you never know when your time's up and life sometimes comes at you fast and uh, constantly be, you know, we talk about reprioritizing what's important to you in life and, uh, you know, whether it be family, faith, you know, work, friends, um, hobbies, I think it's, it's important to, you know, not lose perspective of, of what you really want. And, uh, that I think that'd be kind of cool if someone's driving down really simple question, but it's kind of a deep question of, you know, maybe cuts to somebody and thinks, Hey, and what am I doing right now? Is what I'm doing right now really what, you know, I want out of life and, Mm. um, you know, is there, is, what do I need to do to kind of get to where I want to be and get what I want out of life? Because again, you know, it could be tomorrow or it could be 30 years from now. You don't want to, you know, have the clock run up and look back and be like, man, what was I doing? Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can, you know, especially early on in life where you're, you're not, uh, you're not, going through a lot of different challenges and, and, and facing a lot of internal struggles and, and stuff. You, you, it's sometimes you can get, you know, lost in your early career and early life of just basically letting, you know, everything else control your life, you know, whether it's, you know, other people or just getting caught up in, in the job and maybe it's, not a job you even like or a career that you even want to do or or just get caught in a certain lifestyle that you know you really isn't a part of the grand scheme of things that you want in that you want in life whether it's partying too much or whatever you know and i think just always reframing like what is what what do you want out of life what is like my purpose in life is very important. I didn't really start thinking about that to my late twenties. So it's good mm-hmm. to really start thinking about that early on and then try to think of what am I doing in my life to achieve those goals or to get me to that uh, purpose or, you know, absolutely. Let's see here. Do you have any unusual habits or absurd things you do? Oh, yeah, I mean, absurd. I mean, so some absurd, absurd things just, that you love. Yeah, so, I mean, starting my day so early, you know, even on the weekends, um, some deem crazy. Uh, when do you get up? Always been five a.m., six a.m. Eh. Um, yeah, and I've been that way since I was, as far as I can remember, even when I was a young kid, I did not sleep in. I remember <laughs> being at sleepovers with others, and you know, you have your. You know, I played hockey, so. You know, it was a big deal to have a sleepover with your hockey team, you know, some of your teammates on the weekend. And I remember I'm up at like 6 a.m. looking around if anybody else is up and you're just laying there with your thoughts, just trying to see every maybe movement someone else is getting up to so you have someone to hang out with. Um, <laughs> so yeah, everyone else is sleeping until nine and you're just sitting there uh, in the quiet. But that's always been that's always been one that, uh, you know, I, and now later in life, I'm glad that's a habit that I don't have to break because, you know, as you get a kid and you get family, you know, sometimes those those early hours in the day are the most precious. I uh, I can think of an odd habit that uh, <laughs> that you've ever since I've known you that you've done is uh, maybe that's why you get up. You do it because you have to get up so early is your Irish goodbyes. Can you explain to people what those are <laughs> and what, what have you done your entire life with the Irish goodbyes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so Irish goodbye is just basically when you're at a place with others, whether it be a party or you know just hanging out, um, you kind of just disappear off into the night without saying bye. Um, so I've always I've always been an expert at just you know whether it's you're saying to go to the bathroom and then half hour later people realize you never came back or you know when everyone's got their attention elsewhere just kind of sneaking out. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, you know I I I, I think I implement it because. You know, when you if you're gonna leave early, I, I like I'm not a night person. So if you're leaving early and others are expecting you to stay out for another three hours, they're always trying to pre- peer pressure into staying. Yeah. And so I think I just it's just easier to just peace out. And I'll text you in the morning um, compared to have to listen to you know ten people convince you to stay. Yeah, that's true. Everyone, uh, I think you even Irish goodbye at your wedding, didn't you? <laughs> 
think I'd, I, I, yeah, I mean, as, as soon as I could drive, I think I was Irish goodbye. And um, it's, a little, it's a little tougher when you can't drive because you're, you know, you operate other schedules. But as soon as I could control that, you know, I was definitely implementing that strategy. I love it. Uh, let's see here. There was a story I wanted to ask you about. You, uh, I know you've always been a, uh, you know, an athlete. You didn't you win a couple championships in high school hockey, and you made a skates reference, so that probably didn't apply to ninety five percent of the the audience here. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, I know you're a pretty good athlete, but I heard uh, you got lost. You lost in a race uh, to some like older man wearing jorts uh <laughs> tell the people about this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh um high school at the time and i live in the detroit area and grew up here and at the time the all-star game for the mlb was in town and you know when they have the, the all-star weekend there's just a bunch of stuff one of them is fan fest and at FanFest, you know, I went with a couple buddies, and which I'm assuming that's the only way you got the story, uh, was one of them. And they had this little, like, run-the-base path contest, and they had the timer and the clock, you know, and they show you what the pros are running. And they had this little area, so there's five home plates lined up. And then at the, at the end, you know, 90 feet away was – uh, five, you know, first bases, and then they just blew the whistle, and you run as fast as you could, and they time you. And so I'm all amped up, you know, I'm gonna set the record, just wait, the crowd's gonna be cheering me, and cheering me out of here. And uh, man, I was, I got so amped up that I, my skis got way out in front of me, and I started stumbling out of the blocks. And at that point, I couldn't recover. And by the end of it, yeah, some, you know, guy in mid 40s and jean shorts beat me. <laughs> some like. 17 year old thinking he's in the prime but you know couldn't even get off the blocks and i you know i got a thousand people looking at me just probably just laughing <laughs> thankfully it was before the twitter thankfully it was before social media so it didn't you know end up on twitter or something oh that went viral for sure <laughs> uh Oh, so to loop some people in of how i know you because i don't think we even explained that so oakleaf and I were in the same fraternity back in, in college at Purdue University, uh, Delta Chi fraternity. And that's and we've always we were in the same pledge class and, you know, have been friends ever since. And ever since I first known you, you you've always been a very driven person with high work ethic. Where does that come from? Is, is it, uh, you know, parents playing sports when you're younger yeah, I mean, probably a combination of both. Both both my parents, you know, they didn't come from a lot, worked extremely hard to get, uh, you know, to see your positions in corporate America. So, you know, my my dinner talk was a lot about business um, and then seeing, you know, how hard they worked. Um, my mom didn't even graduate college and got to, a, you know, leadership position uh, by the end of her career. So that was, you know, something that was instilled in me at home. Uh, you mentioned sports. I mean, I think sports are a great way to get your competitive juices flowing. And if you have that in you, it really pulls it out. Um, so I think that just compounded it. Um, and then, you know, I think part, partially just, you know, it's you're just born with it. Um, some people just have that natural competitive uh, spirit and drive. And you, it's easy to make anything a competition and you know, I love, I think it was your, was your baseball coach that it always stuck with me though. The quote of, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, a backyard pickup game or the world series, I want to win or the super bowl. I want to win. And I think I've just always carried that attitude of what I'm doing right now is the most important thing. I'm going to take it more serious than the other person. And I know you're not going to work as hard. And you know, that's where a lot of the success comes from. Um, and yeah, so I think it's probably those, the combination of those three things. Mm. Yeah, my, that was our, uh, our baseball coach, coach Pennington, Brandon Pennington. I remember he said, I remember it very vividly. That's why we, we, we always repeat it is, is he's like, I don't care if it's my, I think his daughter was four at the time. Now I think she just graduated high school, but he was like, 
I don't care if it's my four-year-old daughter that I'm playing in chess, you know, or it's the Super Bowl, I'm going to try and win, you know, and I think, <laughs> I think that's, you know, having that type of competitive mindset and drive and, and uh, I think it separates you and di- different, differentiates you from other people, especially in, you know, in your career, it's very important early on, like some of the things we, we talked about, but also I think it's very important with, you know, raising children and, and teaching them those type of fundamentals of it, life isn't going to come easy. And, you know, people aren't going to let you win, you know, and all throughout your life, no one's going to let you win. So you got to figure it out and, and work hard. And, and so I think instilling that and, and Lincoln when he's younger, I, I know you'll probably do. And <laughs> I think it's, oh, yeah. it's a very good life lesson. Old coach taught us. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, if, if you, that, I mean, our attitude is if you're going to do something, you know, do it, and that that's full commitment, right? And it's making it super, the, the most critical thing that you're focused on at that moment in time. And you know, if others aren't going to take it that seriously, that's on them, right? I'm not going to apologize because you know I'm I'm committed, and you know that that's that's another thing. You know, early on, you know, others probably looked at me like I was crazy, you know, for staying over overnight you know on the weekends but you know i thought they were crazy for not jumping at the opportunity to do something like that so mm. um you know for me it's just it's been so natural and you know i love love the idea of competition um and it's just it's something that you know as you get older it's tougher to find sometimes you know you get it in the business world or you know for me it's golf you know maybe it's just the saturday round where you got five bucks on it but you know i want i want to win <laughs> i like it what is, what's like one of the, the best or most worthwhile like investments you ever made? You know, it could be money, your time, energy in your life, career. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think I ever told you this story, but it was probably a time investment. Uh, when I was, when we were at Purdue, you know, you got to get into upper level, right? So you have your first two years and then you've got to have a certain GPA or, you know, and pass certain classes with a, a different GPA. So for business school is, I think you got to have a three, two uh, in your core business classes. And I was just short of that heading into uh, junior year. So I wouldn't have got into business school. Mm-hmm. And I actually, my dad helped me find two uh, classes that would transfer in to cancel out some of my C's because when you transfer those in, it just becomes a pass fail and Mm. then it removes it from your GPA. So yeah, you want to talk about strategy? I mean, that was like (laughs) whiteboard drawing lines and arrows and calculations everywhere. But yeah, so I was driving to Toledo university, which is about 50 minute drive for me at the time, uh, to, three days a week to take class there just to get oh, wow. my passing grade and move on. And then the other uh, three days, there was another three days I was going to um, Flint, Michigan uh, University to cancel out the other class. So I wouldn't have ever got my degree from Purdue if they one didn't have the rule where if you transfer in a credit, it cancels out the bad grade. Like I had a D and like, I think it was, it was two or something. I mean, I just, you want to talk about, talking Japanese, I mean, calculus too, I was never going to pass. So I had to go to some other schools and just get my, I think I got B's in the class and it just canceled out. Um, but yeah, looking back, I mean, I'm, it could have been easy to not do that. It, you know, it took a lot of work to come up with that strategy and figure out and scheme it. Um, but I'm so glad I did it because I'm glad I have that, you know, Purdue education, um, got into the upper level because a lot of the classes that I loved were in those, you know, final two years of college. Um, and it's so funny. I remember when I met with my counselor after I did it, she's like, whoa, like, I'm like she was like impressed with like the strategy. I don't think she had seen it before. Um, but yeah, I, I got super, super lucky with, you know, finding that loophole because there was just no way I was getting above a three, two with carrying a D in calculus too. Mm. I love that, man. It's because uh, most people probably just, what, just go to Purdue another year, retake the classes and, you know, spend a lot of 
extra money at Purdue because it's probably a lot. Yeah, take a different program, right? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. scratch, you know, going into business. I mean, yeah, and I mean, for me, it was one of those, you know, you can't, you don't give in. Um, you found a solution, so go do it. Um, my dad always, he when I was younger, I remember he had the saying of, you know, never take yourself out of the fight. There's going to be enough people are going to do that for you. And so going back to the competitiveness and sticking in there and working hard, I think that's just another example. Um, I think in life there's, there's going to be enough roadblocks, um, enough to overcome, enough people who want to see you fail. You know, don't be one of those people, right? And mm. uh, just continue to fight and, you know, there's always – a solution and it might be tough to see. Um, I love the saying of, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's tough to see the forest through the trees or something like that. Mm. And, you know, when you're standing back, you can see everything, but if you're deep in the trees, you don't see the whole forest. Right. And, mm. uh, you know, having, having the ability to step back, um, find what the solution is and then, and then having the commitment to, to execute, um, I think is invaluable at any, any point in time. I love it. There, I mean, there's a lot of things that you said throughout that would apply here. But you know, if if you were to gather up a couple things that you said, or maybe anything else to add extra, like what advice would you give to like a very eager to learn, smart, driven person, either entering college or entering the workforce? And what are some things that you would encourage them to do, or something you would encourage yourself maybe to do differently? as to start out to help, you know, get them to where they want to be in life and in their career. Yeah. You know, again, I just go back to kind of with how we started is, you know, if you prioritize work, you know, not everyone does, but if you're one of those that do early on, you know, right now is the time to compress that timeline to get promoted. Um, so look at what the level above you is doing, what's expected of them, what's the table stakes for that role and then figure out how you can start to prove yourself and do things that show leadership you're already operating at that level right and so mm -hmm. you know whatever you know whatever your job role is look at how you can either seek out you know a leader a manager a mentor and sit, come to them with hey you know I, I is there any way i can get some exposure doing x or y um you know everyone has a unique perspective regardless of level, they have their own skill set and know what you're good at, know what you have, and then figure out what it is that you can apply that to, to show, you know, you are a first round draft pick. You can be a rising star. You're willing to put in the work. Um, and again, you know, like I said earlier is don't be afraid to take risks um, again with the safety net, but now's the time to make some mistakes early on. And then things, you know, I would have probably done differently is, you know, what we hit on would have a little bit more of a work-life balance. It's okay to say no, knowing when to say no. And just because someone asks you to do something, you know, there's, there's times you can be respectful and, you know, I just got too much on my plate or, you know, I just don't think I can do that right now. Um, it's okay sometimes to do that. It's a hard thing to say no, but there's, mm -hmm. there's times you have to. And I would have, you know, either reprioritized what I took on and not try and accomplish it all in a linear fashion. Um, but having a little bit of a, you know, a reset every now and then and not just, you know, full in on job, you know, 24 seven. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned mentors and align yourself with people. Um, I, I know that's very important. And, you know, a lot of newer tenured uh, people in their careers always try to seek out people that it's always, uh, you know, it's, it's a very fearful thing to do to ask someone or to reach out to anyone. Like, what are, what are some things that maybe could, uh, maybe they could do to, you know, better their chances of aligning their self with like a good mentor like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the easiest, easiest one, is, you know, hey, you know, do you have 30 minutes? It's an email or you see them in the hall. Hey, you know, do you have 30 minutes? I'd, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear your story of how you got to where you are. Um, you know, as I, you know, I'm looking at my career and I'd love to follow that path type thing. Um, and I'd just love to hear your experience and get your understanding of, you, you know, what it takes to be, you know, great. Um, and I, there's a, 
99% of people who are in a leadership role are going to give you some time. It might be tough to get on their calendar, but you know, usually they're open to giving you some time to, to have that 15, 30 minute discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a great, easy way, non-complex, you know, stress-free environment to just one, get in front of them, right? Show that you're willing to, you want to learn, you want to hear from them. And a lot of people like to talk about their experiences, right? And then mm -hmm. when you're in that meeting, you know, highlight some things that, you know, you think you're doing to be better, um, ask for feedback, you know, what are some things you think I could be doing? Mm. And then, you know, close it with, hey, if you ever see an opportunity for me to do that, right, or get some exposure to that, you know, please keep me in mind. Um, I think that that's like the easiest, easiest way that's transferable across, you know, early on to, to start to align yourself with some people. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're doing some of those things where you're you, you're seeking out that extra work, you're taking some stuff off your plate, or you're really applying yourself, leaders see that type of effort and, and that type of uh, you know driven type of mindset. And w when you do ask, or or you do ask to you know to chat or or whatever, like you said, ninety nine percent of leaders, I guarantee you will take time, uh, especially if you're really doing some of those things that you, you described. And it's, uh, I, I think it, you're not just going to be able to go, if you're not doing that work or you're not putting in the effort, it's not something that leaders will notice that as well. So they may be more reluctant or maybe not be able to find a, uh, some time in their calendar to block off for you. But uh, you know, most well, people it's, it's not their job, right? It's not their job to, you know, I mean, it's their it, leaders need to inspire, right? And they need to bring, bring people along and help them develop. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's what a great manager does. But at the same time, it's not their job to go fishing across the organization and, and make you want it. Right. Mm. So, you know, put, put yourself out there and raise your hand and let them see like, Oh, okay. This is someone who actually cares. Right. Mm -hmm. that table stakes to them, you know, isn't just doing a great job. Table stakes is doing a great job and, you know, taking on more and, you know, coming with that perspective, again, you know, a leader, they want to build a great team, but, you know, if you work in a different business unit or a different organization, how are they going to know you're, you're driven or excited, you know, if you don't go seek them out, right? They got enough mm -hmm. stuff on their plate compared to go, you know, on a recruiting trip around the whole company. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, take that off, off their plate and make it easy for them. And I mean, I personally, I love mentoring people, man, because I, I learn so much from them as they do me. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know everything in the world. I'm continuous to learn. And there's stuff that newer generations uh, that maybe have different perspectives about, you know, career or, or life or, or or books or podcasts, whatever it is, wherever they're getting their new knowledge. So, you know, I, I love it. If someone's out there that's driven and applying their self, like, you know, you know, take that leap, you know, send out that email, like Oak said. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. You, uh, I mean, you're a, busy guy, you know, you're in senior leadership. A question I like to ask is, you know, you, your calendar probably is full and, and you still do get, you know, maybe some people asking to be your mentor or a lot of people asking you to do a lot of different things, wear some extra hats. Like wh what, how have you become better at saying no to some of these things or even your personal life with, you know, with a, with a child and, and being very busy through the personal and professional life? Like, how you become better at saying no to, to people. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough thing. Um, especially if you, you know, you're, you're driven and you want to take on more and more, um, you know, for me, it's always, you know, it, it's always not just saying no, but, you know, help bring a solution, right? Hey, you know, right now I've just got too much on my plate with this. Um, I can either get to it, you know, then, right, you know, give them a date, right? Maybe I can get to this in a couple of weeks. Is that okay? If not, mm -hmm. you know, point them to the direction maybe of someone who can take it on. Mm -hmm. um, 
that mentee yeah. that just emailed right. you. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, yeah. I mean, depending on what it is, I mean, you might you might have just you might just had a conversation with someone who's looking to take on work, or you know, someone who has a solution that could help them out. Right, not thinking that you have everything has to funnel through you to take it on and drive it to solution. Right, I think that's the other thing. It's it's, it's being able to say no, but then it's also kind of knowing your role in that process, right? It, just because someone comes to you doesn't mean you have to make it your priority all the time and that you own it, right? Sometimes it's just connecting with somebody else. Sometimes it's, you know, just, hey, you know, I know this isn't perfect, but this is what I had, you know, that type of thing. Um, it's, it, early on, it's very, very difficult to say no, especially when, you know, someone more senior comes and asks you to do something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you gotta again, go back to, you know, you gotta have your priorities and if it, interferes with those priorities, whether it be personal, you, you've got to just have the confidence to say, you know, no, um, you know, and again, you know, maybe, hey, is it something I can get to next, you know, next week or whatever? Mm-hmm. I like it. We can end it off with this, okay, you know, with with this whole lockdown, COVID, the last, what, we've been in here almost five months now. How, how has that changed your, either some of your you know, personal habits, exercise habits, waking up early, you know, or, or just working remotely or working from home full time? What, what are some things that you've done differently or maybe some new things you've implemented? And Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really cool because, um, you know, I'm not on the road so I can see, you know, Lincoln grow up, which is really, mm. really cool to spend that type of time um, that you might not get, you know, if you're having to travel to the office every day or you're on the road. Um, the other side of that though, is really interesting. IBM, we were set up really well to work remotely. Um, you know, we, we kind of got away from the office, especially in consulting, right? You were on the road or you're kind of from home working, right? So we had a lot of the technology, we were already doing it for years. So we didn't really skip a beat. It was our clients that we had to help. Right. Um, but what I've noticed is you want to talk about staying connected and being on and having calls all the time. I mean, when I was traveling, it was actually a great excuse to be like, oh, I'm on a flight, you know, can we, we you know, move that to tomorrow or something? <laughs> you know, when, when you're sitting at home, you got nowhere to hide, right? Yeah. Especially in the lockdown, in the lockdown mode, uh, my, someone's like acting like they're going somewhere, like the question's like, what are you doing, right? <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. early on, you couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that, that's been interesting, right? Um, it's, it, it, it's nice to be home, but also it seems like the workload almost increased because everybody is just like kind of forced to sit at their desk. But, you know, and what I do, it's also been a really exciting time because a lot of companies are forced to reinvent themselves overnight and move to this model where you have to be remote. Um, you know, paper doesn't work anymore, right? you got to be digital. And the business models that were working, you know, yesterday, all of a sudden, the, the stress of COVID and having to be remote just broke those processes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're getting a lot of calls that, you know, hey, we got an urgent need, we need help with, you know, X. Um, and our story of, you know, intelligent workflows and data analytics and, and digital tools for, you know, workforce transformation and worker experience, um, things that everyone nodded their head at and said, yeah, that's nice, but we're getting by, we'll get to it six months from now, maybe a year from now, all of a sudden that's like priority one, just mm-hmm. to keep the business alive, right, and operating. So mm-hmm. it's been it's been really exciting for some people. They've been hit really hard. Um, fortunately, for the line of work that I'm in, right? It, it, we this is kind of you know a great opportunity for us to, to highlight what we can do. Mm-hmm. And I I think for you know for me a lot of things that you're saying resonates as well. You know, as a manager at my company, I didn't get to work from home too much. You know, once a month probably. And uh, this changed up a lot of things, and I've I seem to have a lot less distractions. I, I miss a lot of things in the office of just the camaraderie and you know face to face and that human connection. But it, it did remove a lot of distractions of the office, and I I've seemed to be able to focus more on my to do list and accomplish things. But you I I have had to make sure I focus on still because like you said. You know, if, if someone's trying to reach you, it's like, well, where are you at? You got to be at home. <laughs> you know, you can't really like to set times aside of those those, uh, you know, moments of stillness and, you know, to like 
take a break for work, you know, especially middle of the day. I, I like taking my dog for a walk or, or just completely shutting off and eating lunch outside on the patio and and really just turning things off because that's very, very important. And especially in the evening after you're done from work, it's real hard to say like, when are you done? You know, because I'd finish it in the office and I would come home and that was kind of that separation. But it's really hard. Like your mind gets going, especially when you're you're driven and you want to, you have some things still on your to do to do list. Well, we will never have a completed to do list. But I when you do have those things and you know it's four thirty five and and you're shutting down and you still have those urges to jump on. It's like ah, I can I can do this, but no, if, you know, focus some time with your significant other or time to yourself and really find that those moments of stillness where you can, you know, just decharge, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and just, you know, whether watching TV with your wife or your, or your son or, or whatever it may be getting out in the nature. It takes a new type of focus, you know, when you're running your remote, because like you said, you're not going anywhere. So it's just, it's a different, you know, discipline and skill that you have to, you know, learn because, and we, because we don't know when one, we're going back to, you know, what is it going to look like? And three, are, are some organizations going to realize, wow, we're actually really effective remotely. Do we mm. need all that office space? So it could become the new norm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I've seen a lot of companies, uh, I think Google said July of 2021, they're uh, working from home until then. So and a lot of companies yeah. just basically that were leasing uh, leasing offices down in downtown Chicago just completely, you know, when when their lease was up, they just stopped it and they're going to work from home until this figures it out before it, and then maybe uh, bring back an office eventually. But it's interesting. It's uh, changed up. Uh, it's uh, what a time to be alive. Huh? <laughs> no, totally. Yeah. Be- between this and the whole political thing, you know, that's going on coming up and you want to talk about that? Oh, we can. I have <laughs> no, questions and no. politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Oak. I, I feel like there's a lot um, the listeners can take out of this. And thanks for taking your time out of the Absolutely. Day morning. Here, man. Take care, everybody. Good stuff. Take it easy.